Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for the wonderful truths and experiences and emotions and feelings that you have given to us in the book of Psalms. We ask that you would help us to absorb this and to relate to the messages that the writers have for us in this collection of writings that you inspired and that you guided your servants and helped them to work through their difficulties and so that they could be inspiring and helpful to us. We ask this in your name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalms. Jesus Christ are all in all. There are so many different images and so many different metaphors and ideas that are included in the book of Psalms that I thought all in all would be a a good way to put it, are all in all. So the flight, the facts, the landmarks, the itinerary, the gospel, the history, and the travel tips. The facts, the book, the book of Psalms is a collection of songs, prayers, and poetry written by many authors. Of the 150 Psalms, 73 are attributed to the poet and musician, King David, other psalms were written by Asaph, 12 of those. The Korahites, 12 of those. King Solomon, 2. Moses, 1. Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses. Heman, 1. Hezekiah, 1. And Ethan, 1. The remaining psalms are anonymous. So there are 150 psalms, unless you have an Orthodox Bible. The Orthodox Bible has... a 151 psalms. They have an extra psalm in there that that we don't have in our Bibles. The psalms are filled with lyrics that reflect almost every human experience and emotion on the spectrum. From the greatest sorrow and depression to the most thrilling expressions of joy and gladness, one theme of the book is constant complete dependence on the love and the power of God. The the Psalms are divided into five books, five sections. And so I call these the Songs of Relationship, Psalms 1 through 41, the Songs of Redemption, Psalms 42 through 72, the Songs of Refuge, Psalms 73 through 89, the Songs of Rebellion's Cost, Psalm 90 through 106, and the Songs of Revival, Psalm 107 to 150. And the fact that the the book of Psalms is divided into five books parallels the the five books of the the Pentateuch. So in in Genesis, it's about relationship with God. Uh, Exodus is about God's deliverance. Leviticus is about the sanctuary of God. Um, Numbers is about the the steep price of rebelling against God. Remember, that's when they failed to go into the promised land. And then the uh, book of Deuteronomy is about the renewal of, of spirit God's word brings. Gospel. The book of Psalms plays an integral role in the grand unfolding of the gospel story. Jesus quoted the Psalms 11 times. 
more than any other book of the Bible. Furthermore, there are 17 messianic psalms that predicted the Messiah's birth, life, death, burial, resurrection, second coming, universal reign, and glories of his kingdom. So the whole, the whole career, you might say, of, of the Messiah is given to us in, in the book of Psalms. The history, well, though the book of Psalms was written over a period of about a thousand years, the individual songs refer, refer to time periods that range from creation to consummation, from the beginning to the end. The authors of the Psalms praised God for his creative acts. They recalled the history of his people Israel. They cried out for help and deliverance from their present enemies. And they foretold the coming Messiah and the end of the age. The book of Psalms is truly universal in scope. Some of the things that we can learn from the book of Psalms. When you talk to God, you can and should be honest. This is because, first of all, you can't fool him. But second, he can handle it. He knows your heart and what you're going through. So tell him the things you can't tell anyone else. Anchor yourself to God through his word. Psalms 1 and 119 emphasize over and over the value and importance of knowing God's character and ways through scripture. Like a daily meal you can't afford to skip. One of the uh, scriptures that I memorized early on was from the book of Psalms where it says, um, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When I was a young Christian, I had a King James Bible, so I'm used to that, that terminology. The Psalms are realistic. Just because you are a believer doesn't mean you are not going through very dark valleys of the shadow of death, deep times of depression or hardship. To read many of the Psalms is to watch the psalmist say in various ways and at various times, I want to crawl under a rock right now, but God is still in control and I will praise him. We should always come back to God's greatness, faithfulness, depending on him in all circumstances. Before I get into the the uh, text of the Psalms, I need to spend a few minutes talking about wisdom literature in general and about uh, Hebrew poetry. What is wisdom literature? Well, last week when we started with the book of Job, we got into this section that's called wisdom literature. And wisdom literature is something that's easily recognized, but it's difficult sometimes to define exactly what it is. Some people just, instead of defining wisdom literature, they just give you a list of books that are wisdom literature, books of the Bible. But that really doesn't um, help too much. Um, other people think of, of wisdom, of the wisdom and wisdom literature as being sort of an outlook, sort of a philosophy of life. But Different wisdom writers, writers of wisdom literature, have different emphases, so that really doesn't work either. So here's, here's kind of a definition of what 
of what wisdom is, the, the wisdom of, of wisdom literature. It's skill in the art of godly living, or more fully, that orientation which allows one to live in harmonious accord with God's ordering of the world. Wisdom is just how to live a godly life. Do this, don't do this. Uh, books of the Bible that are considered wisdom literature are Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Now, there are, there's wisdom literature in many other places in the Bible, but in, in these three books, wisdom literature is, is concentrated, heavily concentrated. And some of the Psalms are considered wisdom Psalms. You will find that commentaries vary widely as to which, which Psalms they consider wisdom songs, psalms, but these are, are some of the ones that are more commonly considered wisdom psalms, 1937, 49, 127, 133, and 138. Now, poetry. Your appreciation for the Psalms, Book of Psalms, will depend somewhat on your personality. <laughs> I have a friend who was an engineer, and he would like it if all of the literature in the Bible was just straightforward, unambiguous, it says what it says, it means what it means, and nobody has to interpret it. That's, that's, what, that's what he would like. So the book of Psalms isn't one of his favorite books of the Bible, <laughs> because he doesn't care for literature that uses... Uh, figures of speech and um, metaphors and and uh, hyperbole and symbolism and uh, imagery and and uh, he, he especially doesn't like literature which emphasizes feelings and emotions. <laughs> he's he's really just a a sort of a just the facts, ma'am, sort of guy. <laughs> you, you remember Sergeant Friday from Dragnet, just the facts, ma'am. Well, that's the way the book of Psalms is. It, it, it uses figures of speech and hyperbole and imagery. And, and it does talk to us about the emotions and the feelings of the psalmists. Um, just, just to give you an example of where this guy is coming from. Remember... Jesus said that if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And if your hand offends you, cut it off. And we don't see too many Christians running around with one eye or one hand because everybody understands, or virtually everybody understands, that, that what Jesus was saying is that if there's some aspect of your life that's causing you to sin, get rid of it, cast it out. And my friend would say, well, then why doesn't he just say that? <laughs> why does he say something other than what he means? So, but the Bible contains all kinds of literature. And when we're going through the, the narrative portions of the Bible, those are more straightforward and unambiguous. Although that's not always true either, but Today, we're getting into poetry. As expressions of the heart, 
in worship. The psalms are written in poetry because poetry is better suited to accomplish their purpose than is prose. One commentary put it this way. Whereas the language of prose is utilized primarily toward direct communication, poetic language is characterized by a more transcendent quality. There are aspects of human experience and aspects of the knowledge of God for which the mundane language of prose cannot provide adequate expression. Poetry is, among other things, an attempt to transcend the limitations of normal human language and to give expression to something not easily expressed in words. As poems, the Psalms endeavor to recreate the author's experience in the reader rather than just report that experience. Consequently, they must be appreciated as well as analyzed. Another commentary puts it this way. A psalm which conveys an inner and emotional experience from one person to another must be allowed to speak for itself. A certain atmosphere emanates from a true poem that must not be disturbed by analysis and critical considerations. Although these can help to a certain extent towards a better realization of the poem, but such an analysis must never obtrude to, uh, so much as to damage the spontaneous and clear impression of the poem itself. Now, since we have grown up with the English language, When we think of poetry, we tend to think mainly of two things, rhyme and rhythm. But that's not quite what is involved with Hebrew poetry. Um, one thing that, that might be kind of surprising is that there isn't a single Hebrew word for poetry in general. There, there are different words for different kinds of poetry. So that for some of the more general words are shir, meaning song, tehillah, meaning prayer or song of praise. The, uh, the Hebrew name for the book of Psalms is tehillim. tehillim. Uh, then zamir or zimra, meaning song. I have some Messianic friends who have a, a musical group that travel, travels around the country praising God, and the name of their group is Zemer Lavav, Songs of the Heart. And then there's Kina, which is a lament or a dirge with a grieving content. And so we'll see lots of those when we come to, to uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations. And then there are wisdom sayings in poetry form. Mashal, meaning a proverb. When Job declared his innocence, that was a mashal. That was a, a type of poetry that's in a, in a proverb form. Kidah, uh, meaning riddle. Remember riddles back in the time of uh, in the judges? Solomon was, or excuse me, Samson was quite fond of riddles. And then, um, you may not know this, but uh, prophetic poetry, a masah, an oracular utterance or a burden. Much of the Prophetic writing in the Bible is in poetry form. So I'll talk about that more when we get to the prophets. 
The main thing that you need to know about Hebrew poetry is parallelism. The basic form of all Hebrew poetry, including the Psalms, is parallelism. Typically, two lines, or bicola, are linked together, although there are occasional examples of three lines, tricola, or four lines, a quatrain. The parallel lines are related to one another in several possible ways. There are several possible ways that those two lines can be related to each other. First of all, there's synonymous parallelism. That occurs when the second line repeats the first with little or no added meaning. In other words, there's a, there's a statement, and then there's another statement which kind of says the same thing but in different words. Similar words but different words. That's synonymous parallelism. Then there's step parallelism. It's also called synthetic parallelism. So you're synthesizing, you're building something. It refers to the development of a thought in which the second line adds ideas to the first. So a statement is made and then the second line adds to that. And there can be more than just two lines in the step parallelism. There's climactic parallelism, which is a type of step parallelism, but here are several units build the thought to a climax. So as you're adding one line to another, you're, you're building to a climax. And then there's antithetical parallelism. The second line is contrasted to the first, asserting the opposite. So a statement is made, and then a second statement is made, which uh, contrast is the opposite of that first statement. So I'll give you some examples of each of these. And then it will be easier to see what we're talking about. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together. See, so there's synonymous parallelism. The second line says pretty much the same thing as the first line, but it, it uh, uses different words. That's from the book of the Psalms. And then later in that same book, Psalm 2, it says, let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. So once again, it's saying pretty much the same thing, but it's using different words. That second line. Step parallelism. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which yields its fruit in season, and his leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. This is from Psalm 1. So there are four steps here, from planting, line 1, to fruitfulness, line 2, to endurance, line 3, to a bountiful harvest, line 4. So it's building. It's, it's, it's taking steps. Step parallelism or synthetic parallelism. Climactic parallelism. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you set in place, what is man that you think of him, and the son of man that you care for him? See how each, each line is adding and building up to a climax. Another example of climactic parallelism. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. 
So you see how it's saying God is like this, and God is like this, and God is like this, and therefore worship him. So it's, it's building to a climax. Some examples of antithetical parallelism. There's a lot of this in, in the book of Proverbs. My son, do not forget my teaching, but, commit, but keep my commands in your heart. So don't do this, do this instead. This is from the Psalms. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. So once again, you see that that contrast, setting one line against another. Some more examples of antithetical parallelism. Uh, This another one from Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. See the the godly approach and the foolish approach. The Lord curses the home of the wicked, but blesses the home of the righteous. So you can do it either way. You can uh, put the good example first and then the bad example, or you can put the bad example first and then the, the good example. So you can do it either way, as long as they're opposite, as long as they're contrasted with one another. There's another kind of parallelism called introverted parallelism. And you already know what that is, even though you probably don't know that name, but you're you're quite familiar with it here at at Gospel of Grace because really all introverted parallelism is the chiastic structure. You hear a lot about that here at Gospel of Grace. So you're familiar with introverted parallelism, how it works its way in and works its way back out. Types of Psalms. As I looked at various commentaries on the book of Psalms, I was amazed at how many different ways there are of of classifying the various types of Psalms. There are quite a few different ways, and I may talk about some of those next week, but these are seven pretty standard classifications of of the Psalms. First, there are praise Psalms. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Psalms which praise God. Then there are wisdom Psalms. We talked about those before. Um, Basically, Psalms which tell us how to live a godly life. So setting the the good against the bad or the bad against the good. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So that's wisdom psalms telling us how, how we should live a godly life. Then there is the lament psalm. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Then there are messianic psalms, songs, psalms which give us information about the coming Messiah. Psalm 110 is one of the psalms that's quoted often in the, in the New Testament. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 
Then there are penitence psalms, psalms in which the psalmist is repenting. And the most well-known of these is Psalm 51, where David is repenting of his sin with Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. So that's a penitence psalm. The psalm of imprecation, imprecatory psalms. These are the psalms that are most difficult for many Christians to accept. Because the imprecatory psalms are psalms in which the psalmist calls for God's judgment on his enemies or on the enemies of the psalmist or the enemies of God. And to a Christian, sometimes these psalms seem rather harsh, rather vindictive. They seem to fly in the face of the New Testament instructions to love your enemy and turn the other cheek and, and so forth. An example of the imprecation or the imprecatory psalm. Let their table become a snare before them and their well-being a trap. And finally, there's the song of thanksgiving. Therefore, I will give thanks to you O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. So, thanksgiving, that's pretty understandable. They're thanking God for his greatness and goodness. So, we'll read through some of these psalms, and if we don't get through all of them, that's fine, because we're going to continue with psalms next week. So, do I have some volunteers to read some of these psalms? Uh, you can either read from the screen or from your own Bible, whichever you prefer. So, would someone like to read a praise psalm? Any volunteers? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory all the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Continue. <laughs> Brian, Brian, you want to continue? When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, put the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the So Psalm 8 is an example of a praise psalm. And later on I'll, I'll 
explain that there are two subgroups of the praise song, the descriptive praise psalm and the declarative praise song, and I'll explain what the difference between those two is later on. The next type of psalm that we looked at is the wisdom psalm. So, somebody want to read that? Notice that the contrast there of the this is the way you don't do it, this is the way you do do it. Somebody can continue. It's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. So we see that the righteous man puts down roots, whereas the Wicked man is like chaff that's just blown away by the wind. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So that's an example, Psalm 1, of a wisdom psalm. Then we have a lament psalm. This is Psalm 102. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. So the psalmist is crying out to God in his distress. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and, I, and has withered. I forget to eat my bread because of my loud groaning. My bones cling to my flesh. So we can see that the psalmist in that case is in sore distress. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. So we see some imagery that the psalmist uses to to picture just how in how much distress he is. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. You can see there that the, the psalmist is not holding back. He's, he's letting God know exactly how he feels. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. So no matter how bleak the prospects are, the psalmist always turns to God and recognizes that there's something going on bigger than himself. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. 
he appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die. Isn't it good to know that we're, we're part of that future generation that benefits from these psalms? That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has spoken, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offering shall be established before you. So Psalm 102 is a lament psalm. Where the psalmist is expressing to God his anguish. The Messianic psalm, this is the most famous Messianic psalm, Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So that's Psalm 110. There's no question that that is a Messianic psalm. As many times as it's quoted in the New Testament. Then there is the penitent psalm. And this is Psalm 51, where David is repenting of his sin. Justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. 
Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good in Zion, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. There's something I just thought of back here. Um, see where it says, where David said, Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, people who, who think that you can lose your salvation often point to this verse and say, See, God can take his Holy Spirit from you. But what you need to understand is that there is this thing called the theocratic anointing. And so the Holy Spirit being given for purposes of salvation is different from being given the Holy Spirit to do a particular task, like be king. So in other words, what David is talking about here is don't take your Holy Spirit away like you did Saul. See, Saul, King Saul was given a task. He was given a job to perform. So this is not referring to the Holy Spirit for purposes, being given the Holy Spirit for purposes of salvation. You can't lose that. So I just wanted to, to make that clear. Then here's an example of an imprecation psalm, an imprecatory psalm. And we don't get to the imprecatory part right away. I'll, I'll point that out when we get to it. So uh, who wants to do the imprecatory psalm? Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim 
More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal, must I now restore? O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me. O Lord, God of hosts, let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. For zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. I believe that is the uh, verse that, that Jesus referred to when he drove the money changers out of the temple. For zeal, your, your, for zeal for your house has consumed me. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep shallow swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. That makes me think of Jesus on the cross, the part about the sour wine to drink. So now the, the imprecation is becoming is coming in. Where he's uh, asking God to bring judgment upon the enemies. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see, and make their loins tremble continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let your burning anger take over them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. But they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. This imprecatory psalm is actually pretty mild compared to some of them. <laughs> and to them punishment upon punishment. May they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and let them not be enrolled among the righteous. But I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. 
When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy, does not despise his own people or prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. And people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. So that's Psalm 69, which is an example of an invocation psalm, a precatory psalm. And then finally there's the Thanksgiving psalm. Come on now, surely somebody wants to give thanks. Of my hands and his sight. 
With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself sin tortuous. For you save a humble people. With the haughty eyes, you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend the bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation. And your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me, I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people who made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me, foreigners lost heart, and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my Lord, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. That's Psalm 18. And... You may remember that when we talked about Second Samuel, this same psalm virtually is recorded in Second Samuel. So this, the setting for this is David being delivered from Saul and eventually becoming the king of Israel. So that's the seven basic psalm types. I mentioned before that there are two different types of praise psalms. We looked at a praise psalm, but there are really two different types of praise psalms that we can distinguish. They both emerge out of deep appreciation for God's greatness and goodness. But but here's the distinction. The descriptive praise psalms 
extol the general attributes and actions of Yahweh. So they're about God's greatness and goodness in general. And then the declarative praise psalms respond to how God has ministered in a particular experience of the psalmist. So the, the descriptive praise psalms are, are uh, extolling God's virtues generally. And the declarative praise psalms are how God has delivered the psalmist from a particular crisis, you know, whether that be sickness or um, oppression by his enemies or whatever. He's thanking God for delivering him from that particular situation. There are some other psalm types um, I mentioned. Um, there are a lot of different ways of classifying the psalms, and some of these are, are subgroups. So the nature psalm is, is a subgroup within the descriptive praise psalms. An example of a nature psalm is uh, the voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. So it's, it's talking about God's awesome power in nature. So it's uh, praising him for a particular type of greatness, a particular type of greatness and goodness, God's power in nature. I think we'll take a look at a, a psalm next, next week that um, deals with that. And then there are enthronement psalms, psalms which are about the coronation of the king, the establishment of his reign. So the Bible, the psalms use that imagery, uh, the, the coronation of a king, to tell us about God's reign over Israel and eventually over all the earth. Make music to the Lord with harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. So it's talking about the, the coronation, the beginning of the King's reign. And then uh, an example of a, a, the song of trust. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. So the songs of trust say, I'm going to trust in God no matter what, no matter what happens. No matter how horrible it is, I'm going to continue to trust in God. So that's uh, the first part of our investigation of the Psalms. Father in heaven, we do thank you for all of the things that you have given us in the book of Psalms. We are so thankful that we can learn about you, not just through propositions, but through feelings and emotions and experiences. And we do thank you that the psalmist recorded that for us. So we don't have to depend upon human reasonings and emotions and feelings, but we can depend upon what you have given us in your word. We thank you for that. We ask you, ask that you will help us to continue to, to understand it and to search your word and continue to make your word to incorporate it in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.